It's time for a coffee break, which means it's the perfect time to hear some experts give their takes on financial crime. So pour yourself a cup of joe and tune into your new favorite show, Coffee Breaks. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen Zimelis. I am a partner at Guidehouse, and I run our financial services segment. I am joined today for our coffee break segment with Deborah Thorne-Peden from uh, Pillsbury Winthrop and from my partner, Alma Angadi, who's partner also here at Guidehouse and Financial Services. And today we are going to talk about um, the whistleblower incentives and protection of AMLA. We have been doing a lot of these, uh, we've had a couple of webinars on AMLA, which is the anti-money laundering law of 2020. We had one webinar in general where we discussed the entire uh, the entire statute. Then we did another webinar just on the beneficial ownership issues that were raised in there. And if you want to hear those, and if you want to go back to, if you want to hear our coffee break um, at discussion at some other time, you can go to the Guidehouse website and we have an AMLA resource guide that you can get that from. So today I'm going to um, pass it over to Deborah, who's going to kick us off with going over the provisions of the um, of the whistleblower incentives and protection sections of AMLA, and then Al Deborah, Alma, and I will have a lovely, uh, lively discussion. Deborah, thank you, Ellen, and hopefully everybody listening to this um, will find it valuable. We found the new provisions under AMLA on the whistleblower um, incentives and protections to be particularly interesting, and I think they're going to have a significant impact. Uh, the goal of Congress in passing this was to encourage whistleblowers to voluntarily report money laundering to the Department of Treasury or others. And in accordance with that, they have um, changed the law so that the Secretary of the Treasury has discretion to pay whistleblowers who voluntarily provided original information to the employer of the individual or to the Secretary of the Treasury or the AG as applicable where it leads to a successful enforcement of, um, of an action that's covered uh, to get up to 30% of the total value of what's been collected in monetary sanctions. And that's in contrast to the prior provisions, which I believe had a cap of only $150,000 on them. So obviously this is a pretty dramatic sh shift. And they did this to follow along with um, in a way with uh, whistleblower provisions that were put in place in connection with securities matters under Dodd-Frank a number of years ago, which gave rise to some really significant uh, both penalties against people who violated as well as very significant amounts of monies that have been paid to whistleblowers. I believe the numbers, and Ellen or Alma, correct me if I've got it wrong, are somewhere uh, almost close to $3 billion in penalties that have been imposed, and I think uh, $700 or $800 million that have been paid out to whistleblowers for some of the actions. So it is very likely they think that this will um, definitely have some more impact in terms of whistleblowers coming forward. And I, Ellen or Alma, is there anything you want to add to that, or do you well, want to just go on to the, some Deb, of the details? I think one of the interesting things, and because we've been talking in our if in our pod, our other webinar, if you guys joined us, that most of the AMLA doesn't have any effect for a long, long time. This is already in effect. 
So this could cover people blowing the whistle on things you didn't do last year or the year before. So it is kind of a current, uh, one of the few really current things you have to think about right now. And it's also, you know, in the whistleblower cases, you don't have to have clean hands, right? So one of the issues that's come up is that in the past, you know, in some of the Swiss bank cases, sort of the biggest um, the biggest was, you know, the whistle, biggest whistleblower um, amount ever received was from someone who spent about 18 months in his orange jumpsuit and who really was part of, you know, really part of the one that gave the information to the government and who en- engaged in some of the activity, putting diamonds in a toothpaste tube and things like that. And so, it, you know, that is, it's interesting. It is, to me, it also, you know, is clear that the government really wants people to be whistleblowers. They got a lot, they get a lot out of it, and that they mm-hmm. actually are able to make cases out of this cases they would never have been able to make before. And so I think this is it's just a demonstration that although whistleblowers may not always have clean hands, it really is an aid to law enforcement. And I think it's really interesting because this law is set up clearly to allow even people in compliance or auditors. Um, to come forward and do whistleblowing against their own companies, um, which is a bit of a shift. There certainly are some provisions in the law in terms of uh, protecting against retaliation as well, and we can talk about those in a minute. But it's a much, I think it's got a much broader scope of who can qualify as a whistleblower um, in this context. I I do know that to qualify at all, the uh, action that has to be brought um, has to result in a monetary sanction exceeding a million dollars before you start getting into being able to split up the pot. And I want to note, because this is important, that forfeitures and restitution and any victim compensation payments are not included in the monetary sanctions for that purpose. So, um, you know, there are some things that would get pulled out of what the amount would be that the whistleblower would be potentially um, able to get, but it's certainly much more significant than anything that we've had in place before. And Deb, have you ever seen it where a um, compliance officer was barred from being a whistleblower by in, by some corporate, you know, uh, policy? Well, I think I think there certainly have been contracts in place before that for confidentiality provisions that perhaps right. have barred employees from going forward in whistleblowing. I think under this new law, it's not likely that those sorts of provisions would uh, withstand scrutiny by court because I, just because a, an employer has a private provision with an employee, um, I don't think that that's going to circumvent the intent of the law and allow, and it will allow people to come forward as appropriate. Right. Cause so, I have yeah. seen that again in, in compliance officer um, agreements. Yeah. So listen, one thing I think it's important to focus on, and I know you sometimes when we talk about whistleblowers, people lose sight of this. It's my understanding that in most whistleblower cases, the people tried to get the attention of the company or the financial institution. So that leads to a whole lot of things, again, that you, the financial institution, need to be thinking about right now because there are people with concerns that may be valid and may not be valid Um, that you have to pay attention to. And I know when I was at the SEC, before we had a formal tip line, I got a lot of the whistleblower calls. For some reason, the director's secretary would send them to me. And, you know, 
we always said just because somebody is disgruntled or crazy doesn't mean they're wrong. So, so you have to listen to people as they raise issues. It's going to be and really the opposite. Important. The opposite is true too. Just because someone has a question or is concerned about something doesn't mean they're right, and doesn't mean that they actually have a valid. Uh, you know, issue to blow the whistle on, but it does mean that you want to make sure in your own organization, you give somebody the ability to speak and you may, you know, you're very clear about anti-retaliation and that you want to promote that regardless of whether they're right or wrong. And actually, if, if they have, if they have a concern about something and they're wrong, all the better to clear it up. And to be very, you know, to be very uh, intentional about that, and make sure that you 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 know are clear that you appreciate someone bringing it out and explain to them why that might be right or, or wrong. But it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting because actually whistleblowers under the law can make a claim for the award anonymously, um, and in that case, they're assigned an attorney. I believe before they ultimately get paid, they may have to come forth, but there are ways to do it without having to identify themselves uh, earlier in the process. Um, in terms of one, so I just want to note for the retaliation, the statute has in it very specific provisions that prohibit against retaliation of basically any type, whether it's harassment or suspension or threatening or in any other manner discriminating against the whistleblower in terms of any conditions of employment or post-employment, um, et cetera. One thing to note, though, is uh, for um, FDIC, it, for entities covered by FDIC and for certain credit unions, uh, they actually defer to provisions that are already in place under those laws for um, protections against retaliation. So although I think some people had when they first read the law, thought that there was no anti-retaliation protection for people at banks or credit unions. It's not the fact, it's just that they're in other laws. I just wanted to note that. Now that's well, important. It is, and it's also the point, if you remember, I think it was about a year ago or maybe a little longer, one of the UK banks had an issue where the CEO of the bank was trying to find out who this whistleblower was. And mm -hmm. it created such a big stir that actually that that CEO was fined for doing that, and that you have to sort of control yourself when there is a whistleblower, <laughs> right? When If there is a whistleblower allegation made that you appreciate, you can look to try to figure out if, there's, if it's accurate, but not who the individual is, and really try to protect that individual and, and you know, try to demonstrate that you respect a whistleblower regardless, even if you think it's right or wrong, but that you don't try to figure out who it is if it is somebody who's, who has remained anonymous. Yeah, that's. I also important. think it's it's important, and that Ellen, you and Alma talked about this a bit already. But it is really important when you've got an employee or other party who's making an allegation that something's amiss to look into it appropriately and quickly. You know, it's not something to push off for a while. You need to get to the facts of it quickly. You know, sometimes you might be able to do that internally yourself. Sometimes you may need to bring in consultants or lawyers to do the investigation, possibly to keep it attorney-client privilege, et cetera. But you also need to give feedback to people in terms of how things go, because you, know, you can't really let people wonder, you know, what happened with this? You know, did I give my complaint, but I never heard back from it? Um, and that needs to be thought through on the front end. So I also think this law is going to cause uh, many institutions to at least take another look at their processes for um, 
you know, whether allowing people to come forward with complaints or formal whistleblowing provisions and how quickly to handle them, just because obviously the penalties here are also going to be much higher. And I know in the case of the SEC, when they um, introduced that uh, comparable provisions under Dodd-Frank, that there was a really large surge in terms of the number of whistleblower complaints that were brought. So that's my understanding. You know, I think your point, Deb, about having the process is very important because often in a large institution, there are multiple ways to become a whistleblower, right? There's a third party. There might be a third party number that you go to. You may just report up to your supervisor. You may go to HR. You could go to, you know, or human capital. You could go to all different ways. And managing that as a process, the governance around that process is not necessarily easy. And if you are a supervisor and someone comes to you, making sure that you have properly identified that internally and that some that people know that there is someone who's come to you and made these comments to you, I think it's very important too that so that training for um, supervisors to understand that is is important because you've got to know all the different ways it can come through. It's not just someone who goes through their formal the formal complaint process. And so making sure that you've got good governance around your whistleblowers is pretty crucial now, more than ever. Ellen, you took the words right out of my mouth for the with the supervisors, with the mid-level management staff, because right. sometimes they might feel threatened because sometimes the whistleblower is intimating that they didn't implement or execute something correctly or that they themselves didn't see it. And so there may be an incentive to downplay what, what somebody comes and tells them. And so there really has to be a speak up without fear policy through all of the levels. But that middle management, the middle level, supervisor level might even be more important than the junior levels. Right, that they know that if they don't bring this up and it comes later, that's a problem. That's a problem for everyone, including them. And so they have to have accountability. It, Go ahead, it's also Bill. a tone from the top, isn't it really? I mean, part of it is to get people comfortable with this, is to make it clear that, you know, throughout the company, they are supportive of this and you know, that they will adhere to appropriate standards, et cetera. And it's not just something that Nothing against HR, but that it's not just HR is putting this out as another policy for an institution or a, or a corporation. But to Alma's point, it's tone in the middle, right? It's because yeah. the top is going to say it. It's the you know it's the yeah. people in the middle who may not um, who who feel most threatened by it, who yeah. are not going to raise it, so that they have to have a place, a safe place to raise the whistle. You know, to say I've I've received a whistleblower complaint. It's about me, or it's about our business. It's about something that's happened, and they have to be able to come forward. So yeah, and for the and for the lower level staff, sometimes it's explaining to them why things happen. I uh, I know I was I was interim at a client, and we had a very lively discussion with the chief compliance officer about exiting a relationship. So after that, I made sure and met with the the team and said, look, that was supposed to happen. She is supposed to make us justify why we are recommending exiting a really important client because I didn't want, there was a monitor involved and I didn't want them to tell the monitor, oh, everybody was pushing back on exiting this client. It was, it was a discussion that was supposed to happen that was incredibly appropriate. Now we got our way in that case. So sometimes it's, it's that constant training too of, of people as to what's happening and why that can eliminate some noise in the whistleblower space. 
Well, another pragmatic thing a company's got to do when it's got a whistleblower, obviously no retaliation, but it needs to understand the underlying facts that gave rise to it because the company may well need to implement new enhanced programs, policies, procedures, internal controls, do some look backs to figure out if they had problems before. As Alma mentioned, actually the time frame for this statute goes a long time back um, in terms of uh, how far back people can go to claim issues, uh, you know, were inappropriately or illegally handled. So there's also that aspect of it as well. Yeah. So we're about running out of time, but I did want to um, thank my partners here for this because it's always been great to to have these discussions. And to want to ask you um, if there's some topic you'd like us to talk about in these coffee breaks, please let us know. We're going to do another one uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks on the foreign subpoena section of AMLA, and we look forward to uh, you joining us for that. And please just let us know if you if you find these to be helpful and if you think there's anything, any other topic you'd like us to, to add to this. So thank you very much. Thanks, Alma. Thanks, Deb. And uh, talk to you soon.